Good morning, good afternoon, good evening from wherever you may be. This is Snapshots in Hockey History. Happy Thursday. Good morning, everyone. It's 539 on the East Coast right now, so I'm a little tired as I record this. Welcome to another episode of Snapshots in Hockey History, where we relive the hockey highlight reel. My name is Brett Small. As always, just a friendly reminder, Snapshots in Hockey History is a listener-supported podcast brought to you free of charge every single Monday and Thursday at 8 a.m. I will never ask you for a dollar out of your pocket for this podcast, but if you want to do something nice, you want to help us out, Please consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media at Snapshots and Hockey History on Facebook and on Twitter at Snapshots In. Well, as I said a few minutes ago, it's 5.39 in the morning. I'm exhausted. It's been a little bit of a crazy week. I had my real job. That's been kind of taking up a lot of time. Also went to the Caps game, saw them play the Carolina Hurricanes. Was really impressed with Alexander Svenchkov. Um, got to meet him probably about a year ago at this time. I met him at the Stanley Cup Finals, and he couldn't have been nicer. We talked about his time in the OHL, playing for Barry. So it was fun to watch him play for the Hurricanes. I enjoyed it. Uh, I think he's really got a bright future. And then the other guy from that game that like blew my mind was Justin Williams. I mean, he's got to be pushed 40. I feel like he's one of these guys that's been in the league forever. I think him and Simone Gagne broke in together. And Simone Gagne has now been retired for like 10 years or something like that. I just, he's one of these guys, and he's not slowing down. He was playing in the corners, grinding it out. Uh, the guy's an Iron Man. And I'm glad to see that the Carolina Hurricanes have kind of gotten things together. It looks like they're going to make the playoffs for the first time since 2009. Definitely have a lot of young talent in addition to Svenchkov. Rod Brendamore's done a great job. I just want to see what the postgame celebrations are going to be like in the playoffs. You got to step it up for the playoffs. Are they going to bring in some pyro, some fireworks, maybe have Motley Crue or something like that play? I don't know. Could be entertaining. Just saying. I will say this. I thought the celebrations were pretty stupid at first, but it seems like they've really caught on, and it seems like the players are also actually enjoying it. It seemed really forced early on to me, but it doesn't seem like that now, so that's my rant. Let's get to part two of our interview with Darren McCarty. If you haven't heard part one, go back, give it a listen. Darren was hilarious. He's even funnier during part two. We cover rounds two, three, and four during the 2008 Stanley Cup playoffs, and just a reminder to everybody to summarize the part one interview we covered, his comeback, playing in the IHL, playing in the AHL and making his NHL debut during the regular season and Series 1 of the 2008 playoffs. So it's time to cut to part two of our interview with Darren McCarty. Round two is around the corner, but before the second round starts, it looks like the team had some fun. Team Zam driver Al Sabotka threw some protein on the grill for you guys. Evidently, this was a team tradition. He would, he would do cookouts and things like that. But let's talk about the Detroit Red Wings as a community and as a, as a team. Growing up with these guys, this team was very, very close. Do you well, think this organization can, – can you talk a little bit about how close this team was? Yeah, great, great, great point. I try to make this point in going around in the, why we won. And I think that what you'll see is the Russian Five movie, which is mm -hmm. uh, premiere comes out March uh, 22nd. You why you know I've seen it twice and you realize I realized two things that wow it wasn't easy and two that we won because we loved each other and it didn't matter what ends of the earth we had the United Nations that we persevered some things but we literally you look it didn't matter who it was beside you you'd do anything for that guy and and you know it it it, we, it was a very you know 
you look back, and that's why I always say Scotty Bowman's not the greatest coach. He's the greatest psychologist because he turned it into a, a him against us, but us together, but but understanding that 364 days, you don't like him, 365 you get your ring. You know, like you, you, you just trusted him. There was a lot of trust, and that's what had happened. And then you learn, you, and we grow up together. I mean, a lot of us, you know, the kids and – the, the way the organization is, and it's called Big Al's Barbecue, by the way, which is phenomenal. You usually have it once a month, and uh, and it's everybody in the uh, organ in the rink. That so you get to sit around and you get to talk to people. That was, you know, Joe Louis Arena wasn't just a hockey rink; it was a family atmosphere. I mean, I, you talk about Al Sabaka. I mean, he's Uncle Al to all of like. All our kids and a lot of them are in their twenties and some in their thirties oh, and stuff. Great. It's unbelievable. So it's, 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 it, and it always comes from the top, you know, from Mr. And Mrs. Illich. I think that that was the biggest, the biggest thing, you know, is is I'll give you a prime example is that Rag Kelly gets his jersey retired the other day, so I was down there for that. Mrs. Illich was in her suite, and I wanted to go by, go over there and just say hi, and, and she's. She, you know, she just says, you're looking good, and I hear you're doing well, and that's good to see, you know. Like, well, she just he always keeps up on her boys because, right. you know, like Mr. I always called me. I was his Rocky, so he had a special <laughs> place. I was, like, his favorite because, you know, it's, hey, Rocky, what's up? You know, there's my Rocky, you know, so I always. Just good people. They're special people, just, right, that, that you understand that when I want, like, honestly, when people say, I heard, like, were you guys that close or whatever? Yeah, we're even closer to this day. And, you know, when we get together once or twice a year, I mean, it's just like going reverting back to the locker room. Mm. So the next round is against a team that you have a lot of history with and a lot of memories playing against, and that's against the Colorado Avalanche. And in 2008, you know, at one point you hated the Colorado Avalanche. You don't have to tell me that. I know you did. Is it still like that in 2008 or is it, the players are gone. It's faded. Uh, it's, it's no, it's not like that anymore. Yeah. Okay. It wasn't. It wasn't like that. Um, no. Okay. Not at all. That once once Wad left, and you know, once after O two, and then it died down. But I'll tell you, ninety six to O two. You Oof. know. Oof. We had Tim Taylor on uh, the podcast. Oh, the two man. Loved him. Loved him. He's and we, the best, dude. we talked about your intensity in the locker room and Dino Cicerelli afterwards saying, I can't believe I shake that guy's hand. Yeah. Um, just so some... well, we didn't know how bad it was. And... On the Colorado Avalanche, though, this was a quick series. You end up sweeping them for nothing. The team does. You ended well, up. About, well, what did I do? I ended up fighting Cordy McCormick. You ended up fighting Cody McCormick, and I was kind of fascinated by this because because he's a Belleville Bull. He's he's a Belleville Bull. That's not where I was going, but I was oh, wondering okay. why did you? I mean, you didn't have to do this. The team is up and going. Why did you decide to scrap with the young guy? Because he was acting up, and and I was feeling froggy. I guess I wanted to see. I needed. I wanted to get one in. That was a guy. That was a kid that I knew would stand back and throw, and I wanted to stand back and throw with him. And you know, like I said, when I said he's a Belleville Bull, because that's we uh, i was a belleville bull yep. so it's like bull honor i mean marty mcsorley's belleville bull and we used to fight all the time brian marchman you know it's just sort of like uh but like just sort of i don't know it was like you know that it would be respectful yeah 
like know, a brother. It would yeah. be like you're at, and he's like trying to get something going. And I think there was a couple like shots here, here. You want to go? Yeah, you know, like one of those, like you know, nothing dirty, nothing. And that was all right. I mean, the, I'll t- I fighting for me stopped being fun when the tie down rule came in because that was more like I like I could. That was more of a strategy or a skill to get out of my jersey or to use that to my advantage, like Hoist Gracie and his gi against the bigger guys. You really could use it to your advantage. So you would you use your jersey. Your jersey. As well, like I would a- try to get out of it, or if you look at, you know, you look at the at Little Caesars. There's a, you know, there's a, whatever a glass thing with my jersey from the. And the stick and stuff from the March 26th game. And you see the jersey back then, how the sleeves are shorter and mm-hmm. how they're bigger. And that was just so that, that, you know, guys can't grab on, you know, back in the day when there was fighting all the time and stuff. So, yeah, getting out of my jersey allowed me to fight the bigger guys a lot, a lot better. Going back, and this is a little bit outside the era of the interview, but I have to ask this. And Darren Kimball and I kind of talked about this a little bit. You came up in There's an era. There's a tough guy. Y- yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Incredibly like, tough. Those are guys like him, Tony Twist, Dave Brown, Joey Kosher, like guys that can just put their fists through your face. One of the things that we touched on was what guys would do to try to get an advantage over others. And some were clean and some were not. You talked about tightening your jersey or, or you know. No, I would, loose, I would loosen it. Sleeves. Loosen sleeves. the sleeves. Is there anything that you saw over the years where you were like, what the hell? Like in junior guys used to file their visors down. That's dude, um, with the helmets and stuff like that. Yeah, that that just chew your hands up. Oh, you know those, God. those are the more because that's usually those are the guys that you know usually didn't take their helmets off because back in juniors used to take your helmet off to fight. Mm. But um, anyways, I'll I'll get back on topic. It was a quick series for the Red Wings. They brought out the broom sweeping the Avs, and this was the coming out series for Johan Franzen, who scored nine goals, which was more goals than the entire Avs team scored combined. Unbelievable. Yeah, I was going to say, your experiences with Johan, can you tell me a little bit oh, about him? Oh, the mule dude, when he, he, he we, you know, Shrek, the mule, whatever you <laughs> want to call him, he, uh, he was a man-child. I mean, he was just great. You know, he just it's unfortunate with his concussions and stuff, but he's a lot like what Anthony Mantha. Anthony Mantha's a little bit, has a little bit more edge, I think. That series, it was, it was... It was all unbelievable. Frenzy. It was just unbelievable. I remember in Colorado, it was just like every time, boom, goal, goal. You just touch the puck and puck would go in. Up next is the Dallas Stars. The Wings get off to a great start with a win over Dallas. And Thomas Holmstrom scored a big goal for the Red Wings. And the general consensus was he was able to get in Stars goalie Marty Turco's head. He's a guy we've actually never talked about on this podcast. Um, and I don't know why. What can you tell me about Thomas Holmstrom? Oh, man. He's the best. <laughs> the demolition, man. Dude, that kid is the toughest kid I've ever met in my life. Really? He can take more abuse than anybody else. And that's just not physical. That's what I mean. <laughs> oh man, we used to, we he, oh gosh, we used to always joke around because because Homer and Homer's attached to Nick's hip, and we actually figured it out because he's a Homer's his chauffeur that made it into the team. And the best part about Homer is when he get upset, we he'd speak English Swedish, but his English is still 
awful. <laughs> like it's awful. And then we, oh, dude. So we'd always go to Nick to translate, and he'd always get pissed because <laughs> I work on my English, you know. But most intense guy competitor. I mean, dude, that that's the. He's the guy that people are gonna forget when uh, they say, "Who are the five wings that have four cups?" He's the one that you know? they'll they'll always leave I, off. Well, and... they'll overlook, you know, because but he's as he, you know, you you go, you know, from Dino to to him, he's just unbelievable and so good in close. I was gonna say so, he would camp in front of the net and would take such abuse and punishment. Yeah, they had, he had padding on the back, like literally plastic pads that wrapped around his whole body, like his leg. Like he had armor on, dude. So, Incredible. I mean, he went to like getting dressed. Like he had back pads and he had, you know, Chica, who was uh, the Russian masseuse, but uh, equipment guy. He'd gussy and sew different things up to protect spots. And, <laughs> oh, man. But, uh, what a like he's just a warrior. Like that's that's my one word for Homer, warrior. Unfortunately, you were scratched for games one and two in this series. And and looking back in retrospect, do you have any idea why you weren't given a sweater during these few games? Yeah, well, I was because it happened that Franzen was hurt, mm-hmm. and then Holmstrom was hurt, like back and forth. So I was like the extra. You were the guy, black ace. So they were healthy. On. So they were healthy. Yeah, I I played seventeen out of twenty two because of injury. And you know what I mean? Like it, it, it worked out that way. And that was, Hey, I was there. I just wanted to be part of the win. And part and of however, the show. Just part of the show. Do you know, just happy to be, be around my guys again. And, you know, thought that I could, you know, more of my impact would be, you know, in practice behind the scenes, you know, just keeping guys loose, just, you know, making sure that the, you know, that I take, well, I love taking warm up just to be able to, you know, make sure everything there. was copacetic just to be out there, you know, oh. cause yeah, it was, it was just, I, I really, you know, really enjoyed it. On May 9th, legendary NHL announcer Don Cherry makes a few controversial comments that stir up some emotions from fans. And I'm curious your reaction on this. During this period, the Wings' attendance had slipped a little bit. And this is 2008. The the U.S. economy was terrible. The world economy was terrible. But Cherry believed it was due to the Wings' style of play, which was less physical than it had been previously. He said Detroit was, I quote, a redneck town. And he meant to say blue collar, but he used redneck. What What were your thoughts on these comments from Don Cherry? Hey, whatever. I've seen Don Cherry flip-flop. You know, but whatever, you watch the Russian Fiber, you watch the one year 96, the Russians are no good. Then when we're rock and roll in 97, they're the greatest thing sliced bread. So he, whatever, whatever gets his fandom going. I mean, I don't really take too much stock in what Don Cherry says. Have you ever been interviewed by him? Is he a nice guy? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He helped with my dad had cancer in the foundation and all that. So him and Ron McClain, great guys, great guys. That's awesome. He's just, he's an entertainer. That's what he is. He's, he's a, an no, and he's opinionated. You don't have to agree with it or not, but he's, you know, striking a chord. And you know, when he says stuff like that for better, or for worse, it usually works in our favor. Games two and three are both wins for the Detroit Red Wings, bringing the team win total to nine straight playoff wins in a row. Are you guys in the locker room starting to believe, okay, this kid, we have a chance. We're probably going to go all the way here. We were thinking that the whole time, dude. We just had to put one. See, when you've done it before and you do, you know, like, I think that those are more of the things that would have been in 97 or 98 than it would have been in 08 because, 
You've been there before. So you, you know, know the, the drill. Feeling. And you you got to stack wins, and it doesn't matter how. And you got to, you know, to be able to do it quicker is obviously easier to keep guys healthy, but it's you, you still got task in hand. It's not done yet. You just got to get 16, and that 16th is always the toughest. And, you know, like you got to persevere. You got to get the bounces. You got to stay healthy. And, and you know, it's it's you got to get goaltending. I mean, that's, that's the bottom line. They talk about having veterans in the locker room all the time and how important that is. And I think you just explained it right there. You guys bring a perspective that the confidence level that you bring from prior experience makes up, you know, adds so much in the locker room. And I think you kind of just explained that there. Yeah. But you know, it's just been there, you know, and you can tell the, you could tell guys about what you've experienced. It's like life because Mm -hmm. you've gone through it before and, and it, and it is different. And you, you know, you're still, you go through the same emotions, but you, but you recognize that you felt them before. So you know that you can deal with them and you're going to live. And no matter what you're going to, because listen, I know losing just as much as I know winning. I won four, but I lost two, you know right. I mean? I've lost, you know, been out of the cup losses. The worst loss ever was the conference final of 96 to Colorado. Mm-hmm. That was the worst loss ever. I mean, that one, oof, we had to bounce back real quick the next year. Because if you didn't, that's if you let those lane, if you don't get back, you don't counter punch after getting hit that hard, right? Like that, that that's where teams get detrimental and fall into, you know, they they only go once or whatever because they can't, and it's not getting over, it's just getting back. That's interesting because I would have thought, and, and maybe it was that summer, you would have had them on your brain the entire time. And I guess you did. And that's why you were able to come to the table in 97 and, and rebound off something like that. Well, I think it's just learn, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? The, like the March 26, you know, that game was the, because the biggest thing, not just a revenge, it was had to win. But the thing is, is that we'd been there and the worst, it couldn't get any worse, right? We're going to lose again, but not, you, you didn't set the league record 62 wins like you did the year before. And, you know, like it, it's, and uh, you're playing the cup champs. So, I mean, it's like, you got all the motivation in the world. You got to do it. Game six, the Wings take care of business back in Dallas. And just like that, you're on your way to another Stanley Cup finals. How are you feeling at this point, looking back on this? Grateful. Enjoying the ride, just happy to be there, whatever needed to be done, just, you know, um, you know, confident, but it was going to, it wasn't going to be easy. You never, even, you know, people think even the Carolinas back in 02, you know, because no, that one, we lost first game at home. Nothing goes easy with us. Like in the mid nineties, when you had the Russian five, the Red Wings team was loaded with talent from outside of North America, including two incredibly skilled guys, Nick Lidstrom and Henrik Zetterberg. And both these guys, unbelievable. But I have to ask, were these guys like gods in their country? Uh, yeah, but uh, Zetterberg's wife, uh, Emma, who's like a uh, home improvement star over there, is a bigger star than he is. Oh, really? Did you guys give him crap but, for that? But let's, oh, yeah, but big deal. That's like friggin' Tom Brady and Giselle. <laughs> you know, and Lindstrom's the king, so. And then Holmstrom takes care of Santa's reindeer up in, uh, up in the North Pole. well i'll tell you the finals were starting detroit and this time it's against the pittsburgh penguins what was the inside word on the penguins around this time do you remember what mike babcock's game plan was yeah you know just uh, all our our, a lot of our game is like a lot of pressure and obviously you got to take away 
Malkin and, and Crosby. And Crosby was, you know, established himself as, you know, the the elite player in the league. And Malkin's just, you know, it was a head-up match between the Euro Twins and Zetterberg and Datsuk against those two. And then with the supporting cast. So it was what supporting cast. And we, you know, you always know that you need the third and fourth line to chip in when when you have to and uh, when gets down to it or, you know, prevent that. So I think that that really, that experience really helped. And I think in 09, when we lost to him, I think guy just ran out of gas and injuries caught up to him and it just too little too late. And Pittsburgh used that like you see it over in time back and when the, you know, when the Edmonton beat the Islanders, you know, when the, when the dynasty gets, you know, taken over. I mean, it just happens. It's just mm-hmm. the way it is. It's just time. Game one includes an ode to the history of the NHL with former Penguins owner Mario Lemieux and Red Wings great Steve Iserman participating in the opening faceoff. And we haven't touched on Steve in this interview, but did he play any role? At this point, he was with management, but did he play any role in your comeback? No, I, uh, yeah, I definitely, I think, you know, uh, being at the top to obviously the one thing in the organization is that, you know, it's not one guy making the decision. It's a group decision. So he definitely had an influence in that. And he's always been one of my biggest fans and one, you know, one of my biggest critics to myself, which is, uh, you know, just the truth. So when you realize that it's, you know, he's always been more of tough love, but it's for my own good and you know because he's about the person not just the players so that you know it goes a lot deeper than that with him and I but yeah definitely back then he had a big influence in it you've been quoted as saying that he is one of the best one-liner guys you've ever been around Mm. do you have a favorite samurai sword bro see he carries a samurai sword you know how sharp those are so when he cuts you you don't really realize you're bleeding (laughs) you slide off I'd never heard that analogy yeah I mean, I I got, and here's my other one I use is I have one feeling left. My wife owns it. Steve Eiserman cauterized every other feeling in my body. (laughs) So I'm not that sensitive anymore, but uh, no, he's as quick and as sharp. And um, you just like, that's, I was going to say, is there a one liner that sticks out to you that just made you laugh over the years or or, or something that just made you shake? No, I mean, it's always on me, though. I mean, it'll be conversations the other end of the room and then he'll just zing something out that has nothing to do. I had nothing to do with nothing. But, you know, when you realize that in life, you're going to be somebody's bitch, right? So you just (laughs) might as well shoot high and aim high. So I'm Steve Eisenman's bitch and I think I'm doing pretty good. I but think it took that... me three years to realize that stop sucking my thumb and crying in the corner that he picked on me because he liked me. So I think you could do a I'll lot worse, it. a lot worse I, than Steve Eiserman. That's what I'm saying. So, I mean, you know, you got to look at half full. I love your optimism. The Red Wings kick off the game one in a dominating fashion with a four nothing win over the pens. It seems like everything went right during this game. What do you remember about game one? Did you ever, did you have a chance to get on the ice against their first line, which was an incredibly deep line? It was Crosby, Malkin, and Marion Hosa. Uh, absolutely not on purpose. Maybe during, <laughs> maybe during a commercial, but why would I want any of that business? You know what? I'll just stay in the corner near the camera, chirp the guy on the bench, take my 
two shifts a period, make sure that the doors, you know, guys can get in the door and stuff like that. Sidney Crosby's being heralded as one of the best ever. During your years, you played with him towards the end of your career. Is there anybody you could compare him to? See, he's, you know, and, and the one thing about Sidney Crosby is I really respect is that mm-hmm. I see is his maturity over the years. Mm-hmm. How he's really, you know, happy to see he's sort of the elder statesman face of the league. He reminds me of Stevie a lot. Okay. You know, I think he's turned into more of a Stevie in his leadership and stuff like that. He might be... See, they're both skilled, and but in different ways. But you can see they lead by example. And the, the thing that bothers me about Crosby is, man, he takes more abuse than he should. And it's unfortunate. Like, the, the liberties that are taken against him as opposed to, you know, that that you've seen. Is this – that's that's the problem that I have in, in the game, I guess. Is I was going to say, is that because of the way the game has gone now? Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. Where we no longer really have that extra guy. Right, absolutely. absolutely. You don't have that intimidation. Your intimidation is your old lady yelling at you because you got fined. <laughs> and then that's fair. I, I think that's a, an excellent statement on that. And, you know, there's no, there's no up and comings. There's no that you, the anticipation of death's worse than death itself. There's no, you might as well go get into it with somebody because it's, it's going to just eat, eat away. You want to talk about anxiety. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just, you might as well, you knew you were going to get it. You might as well go out and fight the toughest, you know what I mean? Because then get at it least you get the respect and you get it over with and then it doesn't linger. Then you can play the rest of the game. There's so many different reasons that fights happen and, you know, it used to. I mean, I can't, and it's unfair for me to criticize the game right now because it's not my game. Right. It's a different era. It's, 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 it's different. I, I got to say, I can't comp. I can say what, but I, I, pfft. You know, I, I, I'd be so frustrated coaching in this game. Things that happen just. You, there's uh, no, you can't do anything about it. There's, there's no, it doesn't seem like there's really anything that you can do other than just wait for the league to make a decision. Right. I mean, that's, that's pretty much it. Uh, Back on Crosby, just for a second, you played against all the greats. Where would you rank him? You know, like, you know, easily in my top 10. That's good. That's what I was looking could, for. Could, 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 like, he's right just top of my head is like five, six, seven. Who would be one, two, three, and four? Any idea? Uh, well, Lidstrom, Iserman, you know, Fedorov. Mm-hmm. You can't, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, as far as like uh, the players, and then I got to play against Lemieux and, and Gretzky. I mean, there's so many, you right. know, like you think about, and it have to be, at the era, but I remember Lemieux came back after his Hodgkin's lymphoma. We played him in Pittsburgh, dude. And I swear to God, he didn't move his feet the whole game. He had two goals and just came down the left side, took the pass, stepped over the line, and just for me, it'd be like a little flick dumper. And he just full top shelf, was like. And I was standing, sitting on the bench behind him, and watched it leave his stick. On how it left, and you got to remember, this is an old wood stick. This is '93, yeah, in the igloo, yeah. No, this is uh, this was yeah, or probably around '93. When did he come back from non-Hodgkins? Well, he retired in '96, and he came back in 2001. But '93 was when, when he had, it was. That's so when it was when he came back. So it was 2001. So he's 2001 in his late 30s, and he still had it. like it, like and it, and it was like, oh, he hadn't played. He played like one game. He didn't practice. And you wouldn't know it. I don't think he breathe. I even breathe hard. He was like, 
like amazing. Oh, it's just a freak. It's just a freak. And speaking of freaks, game two was all wings again. You guys are playing unbelievable. You shut out the pens three nothing. One thing though is Gary Roberts was dressed for this game, and he's a competitor. What are your memories are of, of, of playing against Gary Roberts over your oh, career? Yeah. There's a great fierce competitor, you know, lefty fierce competitor, you know, great. Remember, I always remember him in Calgary back in the day, Toronto. And no, I mean, he, uh, you know, he's one of those, he's one of those old school mentality guys, you know, that you want, you want that guy in your team. I, I definitely wouldn't want to play against him. That's for sure. Game three returns back to Pittsburgh and the Pens pick up a win in this series at home. Crosby kicked the scoring off for the Pens. And then game four, just a few nights later, this time the Wings get the win. So we're getting ready to get back to for game five here. And this was really the talk of this of, of this series up until this point. On the brink of elimination, the Pens win a triple overtime game, sending the series back to Pittsburgh. What do you recall about this triple overtime game? I mean, guys must have been exhausted. Being dressed in the locker room, waiting to, to for somebody to score so we could go out there, being bummed. We sat there for the whole time in our gear, so we got to undress with the guys. It was pretty somber, but went to overtime like it was down, and when it was going to overtime, we were like, well, we're getting dressed, you know, like because if we score, we win, we're going out like we did after we won in, in game six, right? You know, oh, you my God. I can't even imagine picture. the anxiety of just waiting and waiting. What? Dude, it wasn't, it was just, you know, you're hoping. I mean, it's like yeah. watching a bet. You know, it's like watching your Super Bowl bet or fuck, something like that. You know, it's like, you know, you got, you, you, you have no control. You just hope so. And then it's like, ah, oh, that sucks. <laughs> Game six, though, goes back to Pittsburgh and the Wings close it out and give you your fourth Stanley Cup championship ring. As the Red Wings edge out the Penguins 3-2, to two. Nick Lidstrom becomes the first European captain to win a Stanley Cup. Can you take us back to what you remember about celebrating that night and just yeah. the festivities? Yeah, because it's all Pittsburgh Arena, right? So it's a Melon crappy, Arena. crappy, crappy dressing room. Like, I mean, old school. And the training room at the end is literally, I got to say, it's probably... I don't know, 20, 20 by 10. Mm -hmm. And, and we had 50 people in there, uh, spraying shampoo, spraying champagne, doing the European ole, 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 ole. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. So that was like our time. And then remember flying back and then we had a party in the, I remember my kids were on the ice and that was awesome. And flew back and then we had a party at the hangar, which was all decked out, which was great. So, you know, it was all, it was awesome. Just great memories. And of course, then you have the parade. Um, yeah. I, I'm sure this is the fourth one. This was the final one. Of course, is there this a little bit extra sweeter, just given the comeback that you had been through and, and, and going all the way up from the IHL to the AHL to the NHL to now holding the Stanley cup. Almost surreal, right? But it just goes to show you almost anything's possible. I mean, I believe anything's possible. You know, anything's it's possible. just like, it's just faith and, you know, having, you know, things got to go right. It's got to sort of be in your path, but it's like you can almost, the way that it played out. And it, for me, it was just, I was just grateful for, just grateful for, you know, the opportunity, the journey. And I think of the, the appreciation and try to take it in as much as 
as you could, you know, the whole mm-hmm. thing, you know, like I, it was, it was, it was great. It was, uh, it was unbelievable. It's like a storybook almost. And, you know, Darren, I've taken so much of your evening this evening, but before we sign off, before we end everything, tell everybody what you're up to now. Well, I got a, yeah, a lot of things going on. You can check out, uh, uh, Darren McCarty slaps the comedy tour on Facebook, along with grind time with Darren McCarty, which is podcast, which is on iTunes and anywhere you can get, uh, podcasting. That's, uh, that, those are my two big ventures right now up until, uh, I'd be, uh, doing the comedy throughout March right now. And then, uh, we'll see what happens, get into the summer schedule. And you're also on social media. I know grind time has a page, the slapstick yep. comedy tour has a page. You can do a lot worse in life than being Steve Eiserman's bitch. How great was that line? Oh, Darren made me laugh. Please don't forget to check out his podcast, Grind Time. It's pretty funny. He talks not only hockey stuff, but also a lot of life stuff. So it's pretty interesting. He also talks a lot about cannabis and how it saved his life. And I really don't know anything about it. So it was, you know, I always learn something whenever I hear his podcast. So definitely check that out. Also, I've got to check out his comedy tour because the guy is funny as can be. So his comedy show has got to be funny. Last but not least... How about the Ilch family calling him Rocky? And it's such a great nickname for him because he really is Rocky. And this is kind of a Rocky story in a way. It's like him coming back, fighting and winning the Stanley Cup. Thanks again for Darren McCarty. That's it for this week. We're going to have another episode next week. So in the meantime, have a great weekend and enjoy the last few games of the regular season. If you like what you heard today, please consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We'll talk to you on Monday at 8 a.m. for another episode.